Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I welcome my friend Kaylin Manning to speak with me about our experiences growing up with gender dysphoria, the gifts, the pain, and really the wisdom that we gained from the experience. I remember telling when I was seven, I told everybody, I am a boy. And, you know, my parents didn't care. They were like, oh, last week he thought he was a buffalo, right? So they indulged me. I got all my cousin's old clothing. I wore boots. And then when I was 10, I was told I couldn't be because I was missing a penis. And that just sort of, my mind just sort of exploded, for lack of a better phrase, because I thought that it would happen. I thought when I hit 13 or 12, I would get that. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. I want to welcome my dear friend, Kaylin Manning, to the episode. Welcome, Kaylin. Hello. (laughs) Let's start by just kind of um, celebrating our friendship history, because I think it's been 10 or 11 years now. 
it's going to be <laughs> 10 years in the summer of 20, uh, 2023. No, I met you in 2012. Yes, we met in 2012. We started playing music together in 2013. God, that's like when you're dating, you're like, we were talking, but we started sleeping together. Dot, 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 dot. Is that how you equate? (laughs) (laughs) I love that this just, Kayla and I have a very unique relationship because his autism doesn't always understand my humor. (laughs) And I I forget it's been a while, so I forgot about that. So I'm I'm enjoying this. That was a joke. Oh, okay. I remember (laughs) 2013 because... I was playing with our old manager um, at Dave's Wine and Coffee Bar. Oh, my goddess. Yeah. In in Socrates. In Socrates. (laughs) I forgot all of you. uh, Like, you wouldn't even know you were going to play. Did you bring this? Like, I don't even remember what happened. I think, I don't know if I'm allowed to say his name because he was our manager, but... um, We'll call him Frank. He Frank, yeah. showed me the song for like 20 minutes at his house. He said, bring your saxophone. I said, one of the keys is broken. He said, that. And <laughs> he then proceeded to put me on stage with no microphone. I was going to say, you weren't mics. No microphone at no all. No one could hear you. Nothing. And then they just played some weird jazz 70s fusion thing. And uh, I played like eight notes just over and over. Uh, I think gosh. I played the bass line and tried to avoid the note that was broken on my saxophone. As you talk about this, like I get these dusty memories of the Wild West. Like that's how I remember with Stock and Socrates back in the day. Because yeah. there was like no one anywhere. It was just Nothing. us in that place. It was cold out. Oh, no, was that summer? Was it winter? That that one? No, it was cold. I, I, I can't remember the freezing because cold. Because my hands had to get used to my saxophone. <laughs> yeah, I remember and even and I going in there. There was no one anywhere. It was just like four of us no, watching you. I think like two people <laughs> were drinking coffee. And one was your girlfriend. <laughs> Probably. That would not surprise me. Oh, like, well, yeah. well, this is the best part is for some reason that performance made me want to hire you as my saxophonist. Yeah, you didn't even hear me. I didn't even you hear it. Like, you were like saxophone. It was a felt sense. <laughs> like I saw you and I thought, I think he's actually really good. I just want to be able to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And I never played with Frank again, just just to throw it out there. Oh, my gosh. Well, so what's amazing about Kalen, so him and I met when he was Gus, right? Yeah, that was my uh, my sort of middle. Mm-hmm. That was the where people would think, oh, he's, he's just joking around. She's just joking around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. it was my middle, like, social transition name. I loved it. Well, so this is what's funny. Okay, so Gus is trans. We're going to talk about this. So I just said Gus is trans. Kaylin is <laughs> Kaylin is trans. Um, we're going to talk about this a lot. Obviously, that's the whole point of what we're talking. Not the whole point, but there's so much nuance to this. Um, but so the first time I ever laid eyes on Kaylin, it was when my wife and I moved. We weren't married then. We just moved upstate from New York City. 
And you were at the register of Sunflower, the health food yeah. store that I ended up working at, but I wasn't working there yet. We Correct. went in there to get something. Do you remember what you said to us? Yes, because uh, <laughs> Hurricane Irene was coming through. Yes, I, yes, it was. had just moved to the Hudson Valley at the worst time because <laughs> Socrates, Woodstock, Phoenicia, those areas, we lose electricity so quickly. And I remember you came in and Eamon bought a little bag of peanut butter pretzels and that was it. <laughs> and it was like, you guys are from the city, aren't you? That's yeah, so exactly what you said. Yeah. I was probably like twirling my hair. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember you had your um, scarf. Turban well. on the yeah. yeah, you had your turban. And I just remember thinking like, they're in for such a rude awakening. We're going to lose power as soon as this hits. And we did. But I hope your pretzels were good. You were so hardcore because you were like so like frustrated with city people and equally concerned and equally like the the unofficial the town clerk you know you were like this is what it's like here and you said you I remember you shrugged your shoulder up made this annoyed face you put both your hands on you were like because you'll be stuck on the mountain <laughs> that's and, right i did tell you you'll be stuck on the mountain and then i just laughed and you just looked very serious at me no no you didn't laugh with me nothing like that and we left and Eamon goes that person has a little boy stuck inside of them. Yeah. And I and I remember telling you this like months later. Mm-hmm. And and I I remember I was going through such a personal like dysphoric uh night of the soul which we'll right. get into more. But but seeing you and feeling your spirit, I knew right away you were a kindred person. Yeah, it's it's interesting how you feel that um sometimes you just do mm-hmm. like i knew i want to mention that what i had said to you came from a place of concern like you said i was like, aware i had so many folks from manhattan who decided to come up to the hudson valley for safety who had purchased just cartfuls of frozen food. And at that point, <laughs> I I was just done. But I knew you two were people that I would get involved with in some mm. way. Yeah. I didn't know how, but I knew. Well, it was it was cool because then I got the job. And I remember the first day in November they hired me. And I was only hired by Frank because he I I submitted my application on cardstock. Because I didn't have any other paper. So I printed out this resume on cardstock. And it was really thick and like marbly and fa- like, you know, what you'd print a certificate on. I remember he said I had 30 applications and that one stood out because it was on such a great station there. <laughs> I was like, yes, I got in. Yeah. But you were one of the first people I was looking for. Because I'm like, where's that guy? Because I had no idea. Who you were, I just saw your guy. I didn't know you were trans, you know. But- and then... And then I, you were in the the produce section, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we we kind of orbited, and then there was that day in the back room. Yeah. What did I say to you? You said I had my breasts removed too, and then you just left like a cowboy into the sunset. Um, <laughs> and I hadn't undergone 
um, top surgery yet. And Sunflower, I remember this because this was 2012 before there was a lot of recognition. Mm -hmm. They were so good about letting me go by Gus Mm -hmm. and using the right pronouns. You knew automatically. Um, Mm -hmm. You just sort of figured that out. Again, kindred spirits type of thing. Um, You just knew automatically and you used the right pronouns. Um, And Sunflower was really good about it. But I remember you saying that to me and then just drifting off, (laughs) just floating away and me going, Um, and for those of you who can't see it, I'm scratching my head. Um, Well, I I remember you looked at me with utter shock. You looked at me like I was like, you looked at me like I was, I said something absolutely like horrific. And you were were so shocked. Okay. But you hadn't, I knew you hadn't told anybody at the store. So that's where I was like, what? And then so that's, what I was, that's what I was about to say. You were the first person. You were the first person I ever told. Really? Yeah, because there was this, there was such a safety in you because I, I saw myself in you. I saw this kind of like e- equal experience. Mm. And I thought, I can tell him like he's going to, number one, he's going to respect it. Number two, he's going to be curious. Number three, it's going to make us closer. I just knew it was going to be this yeah. like bridge. So I kind of dropped it. And I remember I was on call with my shift. I was never able to take an actual break. And I think someone needed me right. and ran out. But um, but then you came up and, and you're just like, I need more information. <laughs> that sounds like me, yeah. And then that really became our friendship. And yeah. Well, and so like, I, you know, I want to I wanna stop indulging in my early love stories with you because people are listening for another purpose. I, I will say one other thing, and I think this leads into our discussion. But I remember talking to you after I asked for more information. And one of the things we connected on was both of us had to learn all of these positions to stand in in order to take eyes away from our chests, right? So you and I were talking about, oh, did you stand like this? I learned this one. Did you do the sort of pull the shirt out while you were working and that the fact that you knew how painful binding was too um and i think that really it was so nice to have a connection like that where somebody understood and again this was 2012 we didn't have no there was nothing this was was not cool it was not in it wasn't okay it was Um, like you told people in the little underground circuit who also got it you didn't go beyond that you had to feel people out you had to feel people out i remember talking to you and i was like tell me everything about top surgery Mm -hmm. what did you do with the binders and you you were joking but you said i burned them all (laughs) i was partially joking well, you know, this is so. This is what makes this is what makes the human experience so rich, and 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 my human experience so unique is because I was born so in the middle that yeah. I I I have experiences that no man has. 
have experiences that no woman has. The the closest people I have found that understand my experience are trans people, specifically transmasculine and intersex people. Those two people, we have similar childhoods, similar surgical experiences, similar adult experiences. So many things line up when it comes to our relationship with our bodies. And I think why I wanted to have you on this show um, more than anyone I could think of is because you have such a grounded, humble, light, compassionate way that you have navigated your transition and your experience. And I think it's something that I want to document. So people listening have a model because like we talk often in the mainstream conversation, things are just so naturally divisive. So the moment something gets political, there's no conversation. There's just debate. So we are like, yeah, we're not inviting that. We're just letting that, we're letting them do their thing. And we're talking about our experiences that people can just kind of feel in and see if it sheds light on on their questions or their concerns. Yeah, I I do think that's important because like you said, it can just become such a debate and so aggressive. And Mm -hmm. it's nice to speak about it from more of a personal experience and just discussing what we've gone through. And again, I do want to point out that you are right, that um, when you're growing up now, I can't relate to being intersex, but I can relate to the straddling the fence type of situation. That's right. Um, And I think it's really important to discuss that. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's something a lot of people try to sort of push down. Like I, I cannot, how do I put this? I cannot change that my childhood, my adolescence was female. I don't like to think about that, but it did shape me. And so I can't really say 100% that I have the same experience as other men. I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And in your case, you're talking about pretty much the same thing as somebody who is intersex, right? It's true. And I think what interests me about that is, um, and you know, everything has spectrums, right? So in the spectrum of intersex, I don't have ambiguous genitalia. You know, mine's purely hormonal, my hips and my breasts and my brain in many ways, right? I mean, 12 years of estrogen dominance does something to your chemistry and your cells. So I, I had that experience, like you're saying, the where it becomes like, a gorgeous medicine for me like when 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 i met you and when it, i i was starting to feel into other people who were trans and people that were intersex i was kind of finding these people in the woodwork what are coming out of the woodwork <clears throat> what really blew my mind was i saw it as a spiritual event mm-hmm. like to me it wasn't political it wasn't about identity even it wasn't about medical i understood the medicine of medical you know to let yourself be congruent with your spirit physically but to me it was like so spiritual and otherworldly that in one lifetime you can experience these two three five six whatever you want to call it (laughs) different different genders different expressions different bodies and it kind of 
proves the the for me it proves the um there's a word that's trying to come to me it proves the existence of i'm consciousness i'm not my body yeah that's so how does that for you like i'm curious i'm it's actually really interesting that you brought that up because i haven't thought about it in a long time but i was many parts before i was able to physically transition so because i started socially transitioning when sorry my dog sees something outside and i know this is going to be terrible so my fingers on the beat button that's okay um so I started socially transitioning in 2010. And I tell tell people what socially transitioning means, they understand. Okay. So socially transitioning is I knew something was up and I started dressing male and the few people I was able to come out to. Um they actually started calling me Kaylin, which was always my preferred name. But in 2010, there wasn't a lot of recognition about it. So I had to feel people out and really hope that there wasn't going to be any kind of backlash. And there were so many different facets of Kaylin, if that makes sense because I did have to navigate different situations. So there was Halen with friends. And then there was Gus at work, who was different from Halen with friends. And then there was me at home, at my parents, where I had to figure out how to switch out of a binder really quickly. And then there was another sort of sub-identity that I had at school in Utica. And managing all of those things is something that a lot of people don't get to do. Mm. And as frustrating as it was at the time, you do recognize it had a certain effect on you. And it really is, you know, when you try not to be angry at it, when you try not to be frustrated with the fact that you had to go through it. Um, there really is something fascinating about it, where you yes. go, oh, this is something that I felt inside to the point where I had to make other identities to be comfortable. And that's really, as annoying as that can be, that's a really unique experience that I don't think a lot of people get to have. Does Let's that pause sort of, there. That's so yeah. gorgeous. No, it's so gorgeous. <clears throat> it's exactly it's exactly how I experienced it because I wasn't even thinking about all the managing of my parts. I've forgotten about that because it's been so long since so I've had to do that. But I remember distinctly because especially, and this is something, again, trans intersex people usually experience, when you have um, an ambiguous gender expression or an ambiguous body, mm-hmm. other people experiment their sexuality with you. 
because they feel safer because some of them don't see you as a human like there's lots of different reasons they, there's, yeah, there's... A, a many different but i mean i had a good 10 or 12 straight guys while i was growing up that i was like their muse sexually yeah right but it was so dissociated we weren't like in a relationship it was yeah. you'd pretend to be sleeping or you wouldn't be talking while doing it. you wouldn't speak about it the next day sometimes it was straight up assault like there's so many different levels but there was that part that i was managing and then there was like okay the luis at school then no one knows has breasts i'm managing right and then there's luis by himself in front of the mirror oh, what do i do with that <laughs> like there were so many pieces that, one. that was an important one the and, mirror? Yeah, I'm just going to adjust my camera really quickly. I have a broken chair and it just... <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even think about the in the mirror, Luis, or the in the mirror challenge. Um, All these identities that we had to be really on top of to not let our secret out, essentially. Yeah. Right. And when the secret is your body... It's really big because it's difficult when the secret is your sexuality. It's difficult when the secret is your religion, when the secret is I'm in love with this person. That's I don't want to like play the game of mine's harder than yours. For me, my body, right. like when you're talking about positions, yeah. the amount of gestures and the four layers of clothing I would have to wear in the summertime and all the the asthma attacks I would have to face yeah. so I didn't have to go swimming in gym class. Like all the, I constantly had to think one step ahead. Is this going to expose that I have breasts? And if the answer was yes, I had to do everything in my power to avoid that. I think it's important to mention for people who haven't had this experience, um, when we talk about positioning yourself. So I had to bind and... I had to triple bind because I had a very large chest. Um, just as full disclosure, I had a double D ch size chest. I was very large and I am five foot one. And so it was very hard to cover that up. Um, when you're binding, you know something's there. It's sort of like a comb over. That's how I like to explain. Say it again. It's like a comb over. <laughs> Am I, I inaccurate? It. It's I mean, so good. It's so good. When you're binding, when you have a chest that you worry people can see, you learn how to stand mm, yes, in you a do. way. So if you hunch your shoulders forward, it brings your shirt forward. So people might not see your chest as much. And mm -hmm. you learn about light, how light falls on this, light, the front yeah. of your chest. Everything you can imagine Everything. you learn about. <laughs> I saw a picture of myself before I got top surgery and I am hunched, but it was such a natural position for me at that yes. point. Same and here. you talk about four layers of clothing. In the summer, I would wear gigantic hoodies. Just, you know, like <laughs> large hoodies that were way too big for me. And people are like, aren't you hot? No, not at all. I'm great. Well, it's, it's as you're saying this, it's, it just reminds me, you know, what was so strange for me, it, it you know, my dysphoria is different from your dysphoria. Same like felt sense, same mm -hmm. way of life, all those things. Uh, 
you know, mine was like, I'm so male presenting, you know, especially when testosterone finally kicked in. Uh, It was like, you look at me, that's a young man, that's a teenage boy, you would never think there were breasts there. So like the shock, it wasn't this thing where I could kind of pass with my breasts. It was like, I'm not supposed to have breasts. And the few people that saw I had them brutally, you know, took advantage of me emotionally and physically. So there was this immediate overcoupling of if someone sees that I have breasts, I'm in trouble. And also at the time, so again, we have the internet. We're in the age of the internet. Um, People who are in our age range, though I'm 32, um, we sort of went between analog and digital, right? So yes. the term intersex was a very, at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was only people who had ambiguous genitalia and it was hermaphroditism. That's right. And now we recognize intersex as a whole bunch of different things, including hormone intersex that's finally gaining traction that's right Uh, i just want to say just for people that wonder there's three classifications right there's chromosomal which means you can completely express as male or female you can look like the binary you can have children everything your chromosomes are intersex then there's like you just said ambiguous genitalia and then there's the hormonal so there's these three expressions that are classified as intersex but yes at the time it, it was down to the genitalia and it's all that mattered. Right. And it was, you had to be careful. So I remember telling, when I was seven, I told everybody, I am a boy. And, you know, my parents didn't care. They were like, oh, last week he thought he was a buffalo. Right. <laughs> so, right. right. He's using his imagination. <laughs> I got all my cousin's old clothing. I wore boots. And then when I was 10, I was told I couldn't be because I was missing a penis. Mm. And that just sort of, my mind just sort of exploded, for lack of a better phrase, because I thought that it would happen. I thought when I hit 13 or 12, I would get that. And having to hide that from people suddenly i couldn't say anything about it suddenly i had to go to like the junior section of the female part of the department store and it was so hard to hide that mentally but you're talking about physically hiding it and that is a different experience that we had because in childhood it was only mental and emotional for me and for you you had to physically hide something yeah and and also to empathize with you as you started as you started i always call puberty the initial transition you know we go from these kind of like asexual kids kind of inherently fluid as children without all the roles put upon us and then when the hormones come in that's like our first transition into a sexual body and so when that natural when nature's transition took over and you started growing different body parts you know and your body started changing certain ways and puberty came in then it did become physical for you because even though you could pass to society to you it wasn't passing to you it was incongruent 
Correct. And I went through puberty very young. I was 10 years old. Um, and I remember crying when I found out, you know, again, in my seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old brain, I was like, oh, I just wait. And one day I'll have a deep voice and one day I'll have the right genitals. And I just remember crying because that all became a lie, essentially. Yeah. Everything I hoped for was just gone. And I remember having, when my chest started developing, and again, I was very large at a very young age, and I remember thinking, well, now how am I going to do this, this, and this? Because I would, you know, I would take my shirt off when I was a kid because, oh, I look just like the boys, right? And again, when you're kids, everybody looks the same. And then suddenly I can't do that. Why? Suddenly I'm not allowed to wrestle with my friends. Why? Um I want to say I also I connect to this experience of the puberty shock because what doctors had told my parents was when he hits puberty, his testosterone is going to come in and he's going to lose all his fat. And they would refer to my breasts as fat. So same thing happened. It's like I'm 12, 13, testosterone's finally kicking in. I'm starting to grow hair. I'm starting to hit puberty. All these things are happening. And my breasts are the exact same. They got a little bigger even. My hips started getting wider. I got stretch marks on them because they grew so fast. And I'm right. like, what's going on? And so there was a shutdown that happened where I didn't want anyone to know that these breasts didn't go away because now they meant they were breasts. It wasn't fat anymore. I had that as like, right. a, you know, an alibi in it my mind. Official. Yeah, it was official. These are boobs. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. Right. And so I thought I've had so much shame, so much self-disgust, so much fear and panic that at that point, I made the decision, I will never take my shirt off again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Even when I was alone, I, had, I, I couldn't risk it even to myself. And so I lived a good decade in hiding where no yeah. one, my lovers, no one ever was with me naked. No one knew what I was hiding under there. It, I, I want to ask, in your case, was it it was breast tissue, right? It wasn't actually fat. It was breast tissue. So when I finally got top surgery at 23, the surgeon said, this is 99% breast tissue. Right. Because gynecomastia, which is, for those who don't know, the, um, the condition where men might have mammary glands that overproduce, that's usually fat. It's not breast tissue. Um, and I remember... This is what I remember. Um, I come from a long line of very curvy women. (laughs) And I remember my mom taking me aside and saying, hey, people are going to catcall you. People are going to do X, Y, Z. It's because you have an hourglass shape. It's because you have a large chest. And one, my autism was just like, what do you mean? (laughs) And two... I remember thinking, well, why would people do that? That doesn't make any sense. But also, how could my body do this to me? How could I go from just being able to like myself and, you know, have this hope that everything's going to turn out well, and now suddenly I have to 
watch how I dress. And, you know, my mom's from the South Bronx. So she was not, she was not, people are going to catcall you. You just have to accept it. She was like, this is what you do. But it was still like, I'm getting a huge chest. Now suddenly my hips are big. Now I need to worry about it because people are going to, people weren't raised correctly and weren't caught. It was during the boys will be boys thing, right? Totally, totally. And just, I'm not going to go into it right now, but just that from transition where I suddenly gained this male privilege. It's, I don't know how to explain it, but I wouldn't take off my shirt. I, I didn't start being physical with people until after I was 18. Even then, it was sort of like a, this stays, like shirt stays on. And the issue I had was it was sort of, quote unquote, the only thing I had going for me. That is what mm. people saw. They saw my chest and they saw mm-hmm. it was big and that is what they wanted. Um, I want to pause there because a common, a common question for parents, for skeptics, people with dysphoria themselves, is what's the difference between uh, I don't like what I'm dealing with in society with a female figure and I'm a trans man? What's the difference? That's, that is a really common question. And In your experience, I should say, what was the difference? How, um, how, how did you navigate knowing I'm a man, I need to transition versus I don't like what comes with being uh, in a female body. Honestly, I, I know this sounds really weird, but I had an experience um, when I was 15 or 16 and I saw a woman who looked exactly like me. I, I'd never seen that. She looked exactly like me and she was maybe in her 30s. I was 15 or 16. And I remember thinking, I cannot be that. So the difference... What did that mean to you? What was that? If I grow up, because I was 15, so growing up, looking like her, having these hips, having this chest, having that voice, I don't know what, I cannot let myself do that. And that is the best way I can explain it. I knew it wasn't, oh, I just don't want people to look at me. Because if you don't, then you can dress down, right? You can wear a shirt you got at the thrift store. That, And I did that. And it still wasn't enough. You not enough for that. you. It, not enough for me. And that's when I started recognizing, oh, it's my voice. I don't like talking to people because it gives me away. It's my hair. Not a fan of being bald, by the way, but (laughs) much happier. It's very natural on you. Um, Well, so I'm going to, so you've given me permission to be devil's advocate in this, you know, because first of all, we're very close. You know, I love you. And the whole point of this is to bring out not controversy, but confusion to bring some clarity. Right. So um, how, yeah, go ahead. I do want to mention, um, I just thought of this and it, it's such, it was such a part of my life that I don't even think of it as a thing. Um, I tried 
to be that person who just wasn't comfortable. I tried. And it was a balance, right? So a lot of people might go, if I just do this, maybe I'll get used to it. Or if I just do, maybe if I don't wear shirts that are pink, or maybe if I I wear, in my case, a sports bra, so things aren't as obvious, maybe I can be that person. And I went from knowing I couldn't be to accepting that I couldn't be. Does does that sort of answer your question? Of course. I, I mean, when I hear that, I hear this, it goes from a, a thought into a felt sense. It becomes yeah. an experience where you feel in your bones. Right. This isn't congruent with who I am. Right. You just, I don't like to be that person. I just knew and I did experiment. I, well, but that, okay, I'm going to pause no. here. This is what interests me. So this, I'm going to highlight the word experiment. So what I'm wondering as, I don't know, are you considered a trans elder yet? <laughs> I'm considered an old trans person. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my old trans person friend. Uh, what I'm really curious, so there's, gosh, this goes so deep for me, this part, just because of my experience too. You and I, we grew up before medical transitioning was available for minors right? Yes. We're just on the cusp of this being available, by the way. It's not like, I don't yeah. think it's widely in certain states, right? No. And so it's Correct. certain places, certain families, but it's something that is is a big discussion. And I've had clients, I've had people come to me this last two years, especially saying, you know, my 10-year-old is telling me that he's actually a girl. Like, what do I do? And a lot of people, I, I should say a lot of people, I don't know how many people will listen to this with that experience, but I know a lot of therapists listen to this. And yeah. a lot of therapists, as well as these parents of these children who are questioning their gender and, and confused, some confused, some like I know, like you're telling me. Yeah. Um, they're they don't know what to do because their intuition wants them to be curious as parents. Yeah. Yet their politics is telling them they're being abusive as parents if they're curious. And so now, that's the case. Yeah. That, now is what I'm talking about. Now. So you and I had the experience, which now I look at as a privilege at the time I was like, get me the fuck out of here. But yeah. I'm actually looking back. I'm like, okay, I learned a lot about myself where we were forced to be uncomfortable in our bodies. There was no way out. There was no, besides suicide, which I contemplated a lot. And I'm sure you did. I did too. And a lot of people, that's a trigger word for a lot of people because I think it's being tossed around now as, oh, if I don't know what to do, will my child commit suicide? That's exactly, that's the urgency behind it. And I'm just going to say that I understand the fear and I understand the people with dysphoria who would want to and have committed because it's something I thought about every single day. Every day. Because you can say to yourself, okay, I hate the family I'm in when I'm 18, I'm out of here. You can say to yourself, I don't like the state I'm in when I'm, when I'm 18, I'm moving to another state. When you have a body that just doesn't feel right to you and there's no way to escape it, that's where the mind goes. Yeah. And why I'm bringing that up is because you and I found a way to be with the discomfort for you long enough to you could transition for me long enough to I get top surgery. And before we go any further beyond our, our personal transitionings of our bodies, 
what was it like for you looking back that you can give us for wisdom and advice? How do we create capacity to be in the body that isn't ours while we're still developing? While we're still developing our brains, our bones, our nervous systems, all these things that we may not want to stunt with a puberty blocker. We might want to transition when we're done, you know, developing, but how, how do we hold that? It's so nuanced. It's hard because you and I did grow up in a time where it wasn't even a question. Not even an option, right? Right. And we had to. So even when I was looking at transitioning, there were so many hoops I had to jump through. And one of them was, hey, you're going to have to be uncomfortable for you. Um, What does that mean? Identifying as male, but not being allowed to transition not being allowed hormones. Um, so this is what we call the social transition. Right, the social transition. You can dress, you can say your name is this, my pronouns are this, but there's no medical transition. No yet. medical transition. And it's hard. I had to become used to what I'm dealing with and I had to accept it because I did not have options. What does accepting it mean to you when you look back at that? This is going to sound very dark, but it means hoping something will be better one day and not killing myself that day. That's important um, for people to hear. Let's just pause and feel that. Yeah. It's it really important because that's the place we find ourselves in when we're dysphoric, right? It's like, I can kill myself and get out of this body or one day it will be that that was my entire childhood. Yeah. And and now some of the kids their childhood is I can kill myself or I can medically transition. Right. And I just wonder if that was our experience what would we have lost what would we have gained like what would that have been like for us? That's a really good question. I've thought about that myself too because if I had been given the option of puberty bloggers, let's say, I wouldn't have had to have top surgery. Exactly. Right. But I would have also been jumping into something sort of blind, for lack of a better phrase, um, because it was so unknown for us. We had time to think about it. I didn't even know it was possible because... All you heard about was, and this is also going to sound terrible, but this was the case at the time. You've heard of transsexuals who were women who were either prostitutes or in adult films or really gross. I can't believe Simon did that. And now Simon Sasha, what am I supposed to tell my kids? That is Mm. all you heard. (laughs) Um, I'm seeing Buck Angel in my mind right now. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually (laughs) a situation I went through in high school where a principal Mm. of another school transitioned and everyone was up in arms. I can't call her Gianna. I need to call her this. I so I remember at the at the mall in my little Pennsylvania town at the Aunt Annie's, the Auntie Anne's or whatever it's called. I called Aunt Annie. (laughs) I was a pretzel whore. I ate so many of those pretzels every day. But (laughs) there was a transgender woman that worked there. And at the time, it was a transsexual. Right. right? And um, I remember 
I remember just in my mind, they were my hero because I just thought, oh, someone that probably knows how it feels. You know, that's just what I kept thinking. But um, they were an entire laughing stock of the town. Yeah. I mean, but her courage to like walk through the mall in her high heels. Again, this is before medical transitioning was even accessible financially. So she was right. socially transitioned. She was wearing like girl jeans and she had her nails done and had like her hair all long and pretty, but everything else was masculine. And she had to find a way to build that capacity that I'm just going to be me. I don't care who's laughing. My life's at stake. But for her to not do that also meant her life was at stake. She was feeling incongruent. Yeah. So, so when you say we had all this time, that's, I just want to, I really want to stay with that for a minute because I am not for or against medical transitioning of any age. I believe the parents actually should decide. That's how I feel. I don't think anyone should decide but the parents. Um, I'm thinking for myself, right? I'm thinking, what would that have been like for me? If a doctor told me or my school or anybody said to me, you know what, you can actually get those breasts removed. I'd be like, sign me up now, like pronto. Yeah. No questions. I have no questions. <laughs> that's the other thing I wonder would I have been more proud if there was more acknowledgement? Would I have been, you know, just, okay, like you said, sign me up. I want testosterone. I want my breasts removed. I want all this stuff. Let's go. But it's, it's hard to, you know, when I socially transitioned, I was so secretive about it. Uh, nobody could know. Um, I I had to suck it up and just, okay, these people know me as female. These people know me as male. These people know me as, hey, he's just kind of a weird person. Um, <laughs> but had I been given that option... What would that look like now? Would I be like a like proud now? trans person with my trans flag around my neck? Yeah. Um, See, the, the, well, that's what really interests me because I, I, for me, there's some, when I talk about like it was hell and now I see it as a privilege, which yeah. to some people sounds crazy, not to you, obviously. It's like, I, I think of, you know, like when monks have to go through so many rites of passage. Yes. To me, having to live in a body that I hated and was ashamed of and got me hurt and made fun of and isolated and all these things, to live in that body for so many years, I think probably it was 12 years total. Yeah. I mean, it was 24, three years, you know, until yeah. when it's top surgery, but like the real dysphoria only set in for me around puberty. Right. Um, to live in that for those 11, 12 years, that gave me so much compassion for so many people. Yes. And I think one of the things I, I want to write back down so I don't I don't lose my train of thought compassion. Yeah. I think one of the things I tell people because when you get so depressed, when you get so upset that your thought is, you know what? If I commit suicide this could all be over this i won't need this body anymore i can oh, yeah. go on to be whatever now i look back at that i still have dysphoria i want to mention that it's still a part of my life but it's lessened 
dramatically. Well, we're going to go there in a minute. I, yeah. I'm ready. I'm but when I, when I look at that, I go, hey, I battled my brain every single day. I battled those nagging thoughts. I battled everything and I won. And I think that's really important to consider is I had to go through it. I don't like that I had to, but it did give me the ability to take on other things and to actually think of them from a different perspective too. Hey, my friends, my next virtual somatic drop-in will be this Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. These virtual somatic drop-ins are entirely pay what you wish. You can pay nothing, you can pay $20,000. I strongly encourage the latter. (laughs) These are spaces for us to come into and learn somatic processes together, somatic techniques together, somatic language around trauma, so we can hold space for ourselves and others in a much more effective and kind and safe way. For more information on how to join this, just go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, click on events, and you'll see virtual somatic drop-ins listed there. You can register for free, and then during the actual event, we'll put out a link for donation if you choose to do so. Again, this Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you there. I mean, this is where I call, you know, like one thing I wrote down is um, invoking the middle person. That's right? a really good way of saying that. Yeah. And like the bridge person, all these different ways we can talk about it. Like our friend London would call it the two spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like how the, the, for me to have to live in a body that was ambiguous and not have it changed for me early on, man, I actually had to build capacity to be in both worlds. Yeah. which like I said, like you said, utter hell at the time. Um, and this is what's interesting to me. I did not magically heal when I got top surgery. Like I thought I was going to get top surgery and the rest of my life is going to be a breeze. I was going to love yeah. myself. Everything was going to be easy. I never had to tell anybody my past because I was still very closeted. I was not public about being intersex or having breasts or any of those things. And then when I got top top surgery, a new problem occurred. I have hips <laughs> because anyone that is a born female or has a feminine body and gets top surgery knows that your hips are largely out of proportion now because your breasts actually balance them out. And you didn't realize that until you lost your breasts. Yeah. I, I'm assuming you had that experience too. I still... You still know, you know what I'm saying? You look in the mirror, you're like, there's those hips. Uh, it doesn't... It doesn't poke at me. I sort of describe different levels of dysphoria as, have you ever worn a pair of shoes that don't really fit, but you can get by? Yeah. So when you start in the morning, you're like, oh, I can get by. This is fine. But at the end of the day, they hurt so badly. And it's all you can think of. That sort of dysphoria for me, or the some milder kind after I've got my chest and that that was the biggest thing for me was my oh, chest. Oh yeah, of course. But when that was gone, oh let me I'll notice my hips more. <laughs> That's right. My hips don't lie. I, yeah. 
I notice my lower half more than I ever did before. Mm -hmm. And those are things you can't change your bone structure, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's something you have to learn to accept. So pause there because this pause right there. I want to go into that because one thing, one thing that I've learned from being dysphoric is it becomes a practice. And what I, what I mean by that is it becomes a practice in one, um, for me, it's a two-part practice. So I'm curious what it's like for you. First part of practice is to look for the problem with my body because I just got so used to hating it. Mm-hmm. And the second part of the practice is how to make it look the way I want it to. So do you have the same experience there? Yes. Um, I have found, people laugh at me about this, but I have found pants that slim down my hips. Mm-hmm. And those are the pants I buy. If they stop being made, I don't know what I'll do. So whenever I need pants, I get like six pairs. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But and, I'm saying that because when it's a practice for so long, like yeah. when we're talking like decades of the practice of uh, using a hypervigilance to see what's wrong with your body, and then uh, an equal hypervigilance to shift the way it looks to look a different way in public, that doesn't go away when your body changes medically. And something to add to that, I, I don't know if this happens to you or had happened to you. Um, every so often, I realize other people don't have to do this. Other yeah. people don't need to go to the store and go, okay hope they still have those pants and (laughs) grab six of them. Yeah. yeah, And when that hits me, that's when dysphoria gets bad again. So I remember right before I got top surgery, I was getting ready for work. And again, I had a triple bind Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it just washed over me. No one else has to do this. Mm -hmm. And you know, no matter what you need to do, again, he said it becomes such autopilot. But that's that's what's so important to me because, and I really am being careful. I don't like to make general statements. Like when I said, dysphoria doesn't go away because of transition. Who knows? Maybe for some people it does. I for apologize me, for that as well. Well, I don't think you said it. I did. But um, I, I don't like sweeping statements of any kind. Mm-hmm. Like when I promote my course and I do the work that I do in the world, I never say like in six weeks, you're going to heal your trauma. Like I just don't believe in selling that to people. Yes. So I'm, I'm always like a little like leery when any group of people are saying this is going to fix you. Um, and I really bought that, you know, like my surgeon was like, hey, you're going to be a whole new man. You're going to look great on the beach. Everyone, you're going to feel so good about yourself. And, you know, I'm not even going to blame him because it was like me attaching to it. It was, yeah. a, it was a two part, you know, two bi- bi-directional relationship. Yeah. But, but when it still, it took me, it only really two or three years ago started to lift. We're talking yeah. almost 10 years, no, more than 12 years after top surgery. It took to finally actually say, those are the hips you got, baby. Yeah. Let's play with them. <laughs> like, um, this, is the, this is the chest you have. It gets puffy sometimes when you have yeah. too much sugar around the moon, like things change. Uh, yeah. I don't know any other man that goes, those are the hips you have, baby. 
your your nipples get puffy still sometimes yeah. <laughs> and like you can't feel them sometimes because they were cut off during surgery you know like these are just rare experiences so i'm like can i love this part instead of the dysphoria continuing to say this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong it's i know i've said this like 58 times already <laughs> but it, it's really difficult because you i spent so much time hating everything yes and this is what I have. And you have to learn self-compassion. That's the best way I can put it. I was lucky enough to have a gender therapist who was also trans. And he did explain to me, hey, you can can have your chest um, removed, but it's not going to fix everything. And still to this day, because I was so large, I have what are called dog ears. Um, so again, like I'm smiling about it because if I, that's what it is, you know, that's, I yep. can't do anything about it. But basically I was so large that the side of what I guess what would be considered side boob, mine, <laughs> mine still exists. It's just yeah. scar tissue. But it, it flops over like a floppy-eared dog. That's why they're called that. Well, and go ahead, go ahead. No, please continue. Um, I've had to accept that. I don't want to, but I have to have compassion for myself. You mm. mentioned the woman when, when you ate pretzels all the time. Who, <laughs> who was brave enough to do that. And I need to remind myself you were, I don't like the term brave, but you were able to put yourself through all of this so that you could be as comfortable as possible. And you just need to accept some things. You know, this is who you are. And I, I did not experience sexual assault. I'd like to mention that, but I did experience a lot of folks who went, oh, this body's interesting, maybe this and this. I need to remind myself that there are people who will not care, or there are people who will love that I'm shaped like a pear. Um, (laughs) That's right. And I've had to, when I get upset about it, I've had to remind myself, like, you've done this very scary thing. You're doing so much better. And you know what? That's just how it is. And I can either accept that or I can be really upset about it. I mean, I think that's what I love, you know, when we're talking about our childhoods, because it was so different. Like, you know, we were really the unspoken ones then. So there wasn't anywhere to go for support. There wasn't anything on the television. There was no, I mean, the only thing on the television was mocking us, but there was, there was nothing. Always, sorry. It was no, always go for it. part of the joke. Or let's show how amazing this straight man is for accepting this man who became a woman. Look, <laughs> look at this straight white cisgender man and how good he is. Did you notice that? Yeah, well, and that's what I mean. It was so when you're watching these things and you have these kind of bodies or these kind of expressions, you're like, Ooh, I'm not going to come out. I'm not going to talk about this to anybody. This is, I'm not going to put myself up for this. And I, I think, again, what I'm saying about the gift of it 
the gift of our generation and not having space, I should say the experience of not having space for it, for me turned out to be a gift because of two things. I had to develop what you said, a self, a sense of compassion. Mm-hmm. Even though when I was suicidal, when I completely went numb, just never felt my chest again for 12 years, you know, wore clothing, never took anything on layers, never took anything off. There was still, I had to find these things about myself and about life I enjoyed. That's what kept me here. Mm-hmm. If I was just thinking about my chest, there's no way I could have survived. You know, I would have definitely been like one of those people who ended their lives because I it would have been too much to bear. But I was, I started, it was like a practice of learning how do I attune to the things that do work, to the things right. I do like, right? And I, I'm saying that because I find it so important. And I can say this just as my private practice when I've worked with people who are trans. Also, I've worked with people who have detransitioned mm-hmm. and I've worked with people that, want to get top surgery and realize they're not trans. They just don't like the connotation socially that come with breasts. Like I've worked with all of them. And so what I've learned from them all is regardless of what they do or don't do, they have to practice self-love. The surgery is not self-love. The surgery is like, I'm getting myself congruent to how I feel, but that doesn't equal self-love right away, right? Right. It takes, first off, I want to mention that, um, all of the types of people you just mentioned, trans, people who detransition, everyone is valid. Everyone's valid. So I just want to mention that. And uh, everyone deserves to fuck up. Yes. Like if you are trying to talk someone out of doing something because you don't believe them, let them have their experience. Right. Right. You can transition and realize, nope, actually I'm not. And detransition and feel more like yourself. You can transition like you did and realize, yes, like I'm getting closer to how I felt my whole life. Yeah. Um, I think I tried my best to recognize that the world has more beautiful things to offer as well. I can focus on my hips and how much I hate them. Or I can make fun of it. You know, (laughs) it's... I, I do, I collect things with, with people who know if I'm in a restaurant, I'm not getting by the tables. That's just how it is. Oh. <laughs> totally, totally. I know, yeah. I'll say something like, excuse my childbearing hips, because <laughs> I, I can either laugh about it or I can dwell on it so much. And I spend so much time after puberty dwelling on it and and the world has so much more to offer that and take your mind away from those things well as you say that i hear and we are so much more than our genders or our bodies like Mm -hmm. that's one little piece of this physical experience on, on this planet and spiritual experience but we're so much more like your amazing saxophone playing has nothing to do with your gender expression your incredible ASL skills, the way you hold space for people, your your social work. There's so many things you do in the world that, yes, the lens that you see the world through and the way you show up to people, I think is so profound because of your experiences of suffering and getting through that suffering. And they're not married to your gender expression. That's really important to bring up too. <clears throat> and by the way, I see those same 
things in you because I think it really is a unique experience and something that I've come to really cherish, for lack of a better phrase, because it does give you this ability to see things from so many more different angles. And I wanted for such a long time to forget that I was born and raised female. I wanted to so badly, but it has also given me this incredible insight into mm. the world working. And it has, as, as much as I dislike this, people will always say, oh, you're such a sensitive man. Well, I also experience something most men don't experience. And that is not to say cisgender men can cannot be sensitive, but there are things that I have the privilege of having known. And I have to remind myself of that. When mm. I look back and I go, that was terrible. I can also look back and say, oh, but I learned this and I know how to deal with medical professionals who don't think women know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I know how to navigate certain systems and certain conversations now and how to communicate with all different types of people with all different expressions because of that experience. Do you find... Yeah, see, well? you're... You're expressing to me the early training we went through to become middle people, you know, yeah. and really bridge people. My my friend Marguerite calls it being a bridge. Though she's like multi-ethnic <laughs> and speaks two different languages. And one side of her family is from Puerto Rico. I think the other side was Irish. Okay. And so she has this bridge experience, which is like, I can relate to so many different people because yeah. of this ambiguity I have ethnically. And that's how I feel I feel like that ethnically as well, but I especially feel like that um, through gender and sex and biology, because mm -hmm. there aren't many men that can say, I've experienced misogyny, you know, like being hated right. because of a female characteristic. It's rare. And and it doesn't mean I, I do not like to perpetuate the idea that like cis men are these horrible people and right. they don't, they never deal with pain and they're the problem. I don't believe that at all, actually. I, I believe everyone has their own experience. It's going to be their own pain and suffering. I don't like to compare. I don't like to say mine's better or worse. I, all I'm saying is mine is unique in, yeah. in the same way yours is and a lot of people in our experience because what they see is not what's actually underneath and what's not our history. Right. And there's a secret <laughs> sneakiness to that. It's um, like a trickery, you know? I don't know if I told you this story and I'm going to try to not swear or anything. Oh, you're allowed to swear. Okay. Um, when I moved to Brooklyn to finish school, I was paired up with this man named Anthony. He was from Long Island. And he was just, think of an Anthony from Long Island. <laughs> I hate to be that person. Who's I see him. I see him right That now. is legitimately the person I was working with. And we were working on a, a project together and we were walking to school and he said, hey, Kalen, are you an ass or tits man? And <laughs> I said, I'm an, I believe women are more than that, man. <laughs> I, I will not forget this. He said, yo, are you gay? <laughs> I've been there like, oh yeah, I'm gay because I respect women. <laughs> that means I'm gay, right? Yeah, or... 
And when I told him, you know, I, I didn't come out to him as trans because that that response alone. You didn't, you said? I didn't. Got it, got because it. Because that response alone was enough to tell me, no, don't do that. But when I said, you know, oh, I'm bisexual, he was just sort of like, eh. um, <laughs> and Can I catch that? <laughs> it's going to jump out at you. Um, but it's my experience from before of being seen as tits or ass gave yeah, me... Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? It gave yes, me this yes. ability to really look at that and go, that's... I didn't know people spoke like that. And it, maybe yes. he's not feeling it himself. Maybe that's society telling him, hey, this is what you're supposed to talk like. Well, and that's really how I see it. And what's the, what's so beautiful about being like that bridge person that we've experienced. We got it's a to be really a um, great way to say that. Yeah, because we got to be on both sides in these in these really unusual ways. So it's almost like being a spy. You know, you mm -hmm. get this like straight up front row experience of the human experience. And you get kind of like not both sides fully, but both sides in such a spectrum in such a way. Yes. Right of really under because you don't know the full side of what it's like to be an adult woman loving being a woman. Right. You just know what it's like for your body to have been female at birth and developed. And then the shift happened, you know, when when the developing started and you went into transitioning. That's a really good point, too, because I remember trying so hard to say, okay, what would a woman say in this situation? Right, right. Um, right. So, yeah, I do have an experience from socially being seen as a woman, but you bring up a very good point that mentally I, I was not. But also, similarly here, I get to see what it's like to be male looking like I do, but I can't help but be reminded that some of my parts just don't match when I'm talking to someone who's cisgender. Do you ever feel that way? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because mine's a little more, mine's more subtle in comparison to yours, right? But absolutely, I mean, the moment I'm at the beach, the moment I'm at a creek side, if I would go to a men's circle and like we take off our shirts for whatever reason, there's this immediacy of like, oh, this is... It, it even because I know where my body comes from, I know this isn't even my natural body. So right. when I'm there and I appear to have this, what we think like a normal male chest should look like, I know this isn't actually how I was born. Like, I know this. Yes. I can't pretend otherwise. It just doesn't work. I've tried. And <laughs> the trying to me was, um, and this is part of the controversy that you and I share. Mm -hmm is that we still honor our biology, whether we identify with it or not is one thing, but we honor it like there it is. You know, it's like I was even told afterwards if I ate foods that were estrogenic, that when Eamon got pregnant, I could grow breasts again, that they could come back. Like mm -hmm. there's there's a it's very low chance, but the doctor said there's a there's a rare chance these could come back under the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so to pretend that I'm just a regular guy because I got my breast removed, that's a lie. I'm allowed to not tell people if it doesn't feel safe. I'm not saying yes. that. 
but in for my own relationship to myself, I've learned to love, okay, I have an intersex biology and I resonate more looking like a man. That just resonates more for me. Yes, that's... Where does it go for you? Because transgender is very different than what I'm saying, I think. <laughs> it is and it isn't because, again, I accept the fact that I will never biologically be male. And some people, how, how do I put this? Um, I know I'm always going to be in between. What hormones have done to my body is so helpful, but I'm never going to be, for example, um, this just happened recently. I was hiking and I had to pee so bad. I had to pee so bad. <laughs> yeah. And I was with um, a cisgender man who did not know I was trans. And he said, well, just go. And I was like, oh, and I had to come up with some excuse. And I was like, you go ahead. I'm really pee shy. Um, <laughs> but, you I know, actually am pee shy. So that would have been yeah. true for me. <laughs> no, that worked for me, but it was. But that's that moment. See, this is yeah. okay. This lights me up because these are the moments of humility. Mm -hmm. Like these are the moments that humble us into this again, middle person experience. And why I love you, why why we connect so well in this, again, I think it's very generational. And it's also just also how we are, because not everyone from our generation agrees with us. We do not yeah. speak for people who are intersex or queer or, or trans. We speak for us, right? For us, yeah. Our that, experiences. Yeah, for our experience. But there's a humility to this daily reminder that I am doing my best to express myself physically that feels congruent with my spirit. Right. And there's this thing that will always tell me, and that's not your nature, physically speaking, not spiritually. That's, <laughs> physically that's speaking. such a good way to put that because there is always this little, like, poke. there's always a little poke. It's like, and, don't get too comfy in your ego. <laughs> I'm going to remind you that you're not like other men. And and some people, the controversy around that is, is it's been used against trans people to say like, you're not man enough right. or you're not real or you're not valid because of that biology. Whereas I see that as like a PowerPoint. I'm like, that's amazing that my biology is in between. Like that's, to me, that's brilliant. It's nothing to be ashamed of easier said than done but i'm curious for you it's like you seem like you're past the shame like you and i laugh about these things like yeah. what i mean are you bypassing or are you really okay with it am i oh bypassing you, shame be like spiritually bypassing by just laughing it off or do you really feel okay with the humility of yo right there's that lower half like i'm curious i would say it teeters mm. I'm sort of like a seesaw. What does the seesaw depend on? Like what what allows you to have the humility of it? And what allows you on some days to feel really overwhelmed and ashamed? Um, again, this sounds weird. So I'm in Vermont and Vermont is known as a pretty liberal place. But the further north you go, so the Northeast Kingdom is one of the hardest places for me to be okay with it. Because there's a lot of... Again, I don't want to do a sweeping 
motion, but what I've come across is a lot of more discomfort with the possibility of me being this way. So, um, again, this is odd, but when I go into hardware stores, that's when I become so much more aware of it. When I'm talking to, you know, out here, it's all granite. When I'm talking to men who've been working in the granite shed since 1974, that's when it becomes the most shameful to me. But, and this is something I don't know if we've touched on before, that it's not willful ignorance all the time. There are some cisgender people who do want to know and they do want to understand. And so when I'm around people like that, where I can tell they have no ill intent or no malicious intent, that's where I go, oh yeah, I have this experience, I have these parts, and even though I'm not comfortable with them all the time, it does give me something that I can share for people who don't know about, as you would say, bridge people, who don't know about people who have multiple sides. So I would say, depending on the person I'm interacting with, if I'm at home, and this, this is bizarre, I don't think about it. I don't go, oh, my hips, oh, my lower half. Not bizarre I go, to me at all. Did I make dinner? Like, I, I love that. See, now that, that lights me up too, because it points to when we're in our place of safety, you're just with your nature. You're just with what's natural to you. Like, this is your, this is your body. This is where you are in life. It's when that body is um, being confronted with something externally where there could be danger. I'm sure that's the dysphoria heightens. It heightens. I do. At home, it does pop up sometimes. There's no getting around that for me. But it becomes worse when I am around tradesmen. And, you know, there are... I, I went into a consignment shop once and I had this huge bruise on my arm because I was uh, working on a truck. And there was a gay man there. Um, the consignment shop was run by two gay men. And so there were a lot of gay men who would go in and they were old queers, as you would put it. And, <laughs> Me personally. <laughs> and I went in and he goes, ooh, girl, you look butch. And I was like... <laughs> I, I was like, no, no. And this was after I transitioned. It's one of those um, things you hear like older gay men saying to each other. Oh, that was how girl, I talked to all my queer friends yeah. growing up. We were like, girl, bitch, you know, all, <laughs> that's just how we talk to each other. But I had this huge bruise and he said, don't you look butch? And I just thought, I just don't have enough money to get a mechanic. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> so that is sort of like a, oh, look at me. That's, I'm so comfortable with this. But then, you know, I, I had two landlords. They could not know. They couldn't know. And that is my dog. Um, well, and, so, okay. I have a question because we have yeah. to wrap this up soon. I mean, there's so much. We could literally talk about this for hours. There's so much I haven't even begun I'm sure exploring. there will be a part two. <laughs> there will have to be a part two. But I'm curious, how would you feel? I have two, 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 two things. How would you feel if I asked you a couple questions that were just kind of like speed round, where you just say for you what you do 
things that people might find controversial, things that people might really want to know, things that trans people or people who are questioning or just fork are like, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, would you be open to that? Yeah, just don't go too fast because sometimes uh, my ears don't hear as fast <laughs> as you speak. I'll speak slowly. So um, okay, so what is your personal choice around telling potential lovers that you're trans? Oh, my personal choice? Yeah, like how do you navigate that? I don't. You don't navigate it? I don't. I do not date people. I don't look for people. It's so hard to figure out when or how to tell somebody. So the 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 fear of telling them freezes you from pursuing? Yeah, that's where the black and white thinking comes in. And also, you know, I, I do have autism and people think I don't because I speak well. But when you go up to somebody and you say, hey, first thing, I'm sure you've realized I'm autistic. Second thing, also maybe don't have the stuff you think I do. It's, it's so hard to navigate. Um, what has so, your experience been doing it? Like, where have you experienced it being accepted or not? A, a lot of it was before I transitioned, where it was, for lack of a better phrase, a lot of repressed straight men who knew before and were just looking for an in-between way. Am I gay? Am I straight? Yeah. Um, and that... a lot of it was more friends that I had who I trusted, who knew already. I've rarely had to say, oh, hey, I'm trans. I currently have a friend right now who has no idea. I have no intentions of being in a relationship with him, but I still don't know when to tell him. Or do I tell him? Right, right. It's so hard to navigate. So now on that question, again, personal choice, huh? not for anybody else. Do you believe that if a gay cis man is turned on by you and then finds out you're trans and he's no longer attracted to you because of the, your lower half, do you believe he's transphobic? No. Um, people have secondary sex characteristics, right? And I find there are some people who are really attracted to genitals. That's their thing. That's, you know, I'm a gay man. I love male genitalia. That's my thing. And there are other people who go, okay, well, let me think about this. You present male, you act male. Maybe that's okay for me. Maybe I will see what's going on and see, hey, is this something I can like? I but I that. don't consider it transphobic. Um, because let's be honest, it's the kind of shocking thing. It is. Now it's much more acknowledged, but it is a shocking thing. And I've had people say, you know, I like you, but this isn't something I can do. And I understand that. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um what would you say to someone who wants to transition to cure their dysphoria? Speak to 
older trans folk and um, intersex folk who we have information from a different time period from doing lots of research and again pre-internet this is how you learn things right so you found ray the 50 year old gay man when you were 14 and ray told you all the stuff that nobody would tell you at school that sex ed didn't tell you and we actually are a wealth of information and the internet is filled with so much contradictory information dysphoria for me never went away but there's so much more to that conversation than what it did for me or what's happening now it's good to ask people who have experience that you can speak with one-on-one. I love that. You know, I'll say that you, you were a big, um, you know, as much as you were my friend, you were also my mentor in ways you might not understand um, for being a man, because I was so, I was so turned off by masculinity because of the pain and trauma that I had experienced with other boys growing up. Um, and my own ambiguous body, I didn't really understand it. I, I never identified as male until I started hitting puberty. So to me, it was it was strange to be masculine. It wasn't a good thing for the longest time. But you represented and represent such a beautifully balanced uh, expression of, to me, the kind of man I want to be and like to be, which is this this open, welcoming fluidity of masculine and feminine energies. You know, you're not a caricature of men. You're not this, you know, <laughs> you're not a drag king, you know, like you're you're not you're not trying right. to assert your maleness. No. You're just so naturally you. You know, you're sitting there in one breath fixing my car and in the next breath you're knitting me an octopus. Yeah. <laughs> it's like true stories by the way everybody. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> the, you have such a beautiful like as a again as a bridge person all of your parts they come in so beautifully and you don't repress one or the other in the name of being male. So I would ask you based on my own experience with this do you experience um masculine feminine as separate from male or female i'm thinking about how you phrase this separate from male female i can phrase it another way yes, would do you see masculine and feminine as energies that can move and shift or do you see them tied to being male or female no they can definitely move and shift i think you're a really good example of that too um and I didn't realize that you felt that way about me, but I used you a lot as well. Um, one of the things I like to say is that you and I are gender role fluid. So I remember a time when I told my parents I was transitioning and my dad said, but you run like a girl. And I was like, I've run like someone who is not athletic at all. Um, <laughs> and... I I am very secure in the fact that I am male, but I am also accepting of the fact that I crocheted an octopus and then also changed a light bulb in your car. Um, I need to accept those things. Again, it's one of those things where I grew up with 
you know, even though I didn't feel female, a very general role, like, this is what you do. So, of course, I I weave in between everything, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's all for now. Yeah. That was a lot. <laughs> I think that's enough for you and for everyone listening. Um, and I'm going to actually play uh, Bridget's song, you know, at the end of this. Yeah. Because could we take a couple minutes to talk about that? Are you open? To yeah, that? that's okay. But so I wrote this song, which I mean, what what is the, what is the term for this? Your, do you, I know people call this their dead name. They're like, what? What's your I always refer to it as my birth name because I'm an old trans person. Um, <laughs> I prefer that better, actually. Because it's um, like, I don't think we're killing these parts. I think we're transforming them, right? Yeah. I Again, I have to recognize what was before. And I would say it's my birth name. I don't like saying it or hearing it. But in this context, I was so honored that you wrote this. Um, it was so kind and especially because it it was before I even transitioned and you wrote this song probably before I mean you knew automatically but I think before I talk about wanting testosterone you just did it and that it was such a beautiful thing and I just want you to know that well, I, I thank you. I mean, music has always been super magical to me because it's how I process things, how I feel things, but it, it always moves through me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was so touched by you as a person when I met you. I feel so close to you. It just flowed right on in. And it's a really fun, catchy song that everyone loved when we perform it. It was like yeah. everyone's, everyone, if, you know, if I was ever going to be famous, it would have been with that song. And, um, and, I, <laughs> and I think the most fun part about the song for me was to highlight the spirituality of transitioning. And, you know, I did it with a bit of a almost satirical reference of you yeah. transitioning into a stag eventually, which is your actual yeah. true spirit, but male was the closest you can get on this planet. Right? Yeah. Well, did did you say that because I would feed the deer all the time? I say that because you are a deer. That's when we, when we are like walking down the street, and there's like a buck and it just stares at us. I'm like, there's Kaylin. You know, it's like, like you're just an Eamon 100% agrees. You just are a deer. And and yes, you were, you know, you were the only one that they walk up to and ate out, out of your hand. So yeah. there's obviously a connection there. But um, but I just always loved, you know, when when I would think of the transgender experience and when I still think of it, again, to me, especially before it got really political, it's so spiritual to me and it's so yeah. magical and it's so art, it's like an art form to me. And so uh, when I wrote the song, I was really musing of this idea of like, well, you really could be a stag in spirit and you're not going to transition to a stag, but a guy is it's close enough in this lifetime. And it just, it's to me, it's my way of kind of like tipping the hat to the magic of these transitions. Well, that's also what's so nice. It, it was so kind too, because it wasn't, yes, I transitioned to male, but when you transition, there's a lot more to it than just transitioning to, you know, a body I feel more comfortable with. There's 
there are so many types of transitions that go with that transition. And to see it put in those terms, it was just, like, magical is the best way to put it. It was just so sweet because it wasn't definite, right? It was accepting of every transition I could go through. It was talking about, oh, he could do this and this and this, and it's ever-changing, so to speak. And that was just really... It wasn't something I had thought about before, and it brought to light that there's much more than just this blanket transition and so much information that I have and so much experience that I have that is valuable. Well, it's it was a pleasure that it came through me, and I can't wait to share it with everyone listening. Um, before we close and I share it, uh, are you open to people emailing you? How can they reach out to you? Like, tell me anything here they should know. Um, let me think here. I'm horrendous at answering email. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. I'm so bad, but. They don't have to, you don't have to contact you. Oh, you no, just do this mystery men. <laughs> that's the other thing, though. I think education is really important. And I think having people to speak to is really important. Um, so let me think here. I'm going to say um, the best email address to reach me at is gusmanning195 at gmail.com. <laughs> so it's cool yeah um and so so yeah so we'll put his email in the show notes cool and, guy um, 463 <laughs> at aol yeah, yeah weird one 69 <laughs> at aol.com um so well, yeah so, so <laughs> yes we are so you can you can go into the show notes and get his email and Kalen and I were kind of just like casually dreaming up the idea of hosting some kind of um, circle, some kind of Zoom space that could be a somatic support group where we can talk about dysphoria and learn how to build capacity for it while we're questioning, while we're still developing, while we're transitioning, whatever it is we're going through. And that's something we might do. So um, you have his email, you can reach out to him. Thank you for being here with us, my friend. Mm -hmm. I wanted to introduce the song properly before I play it for you. This song is called Bridget Song. It was released on my first studio album in 2016, titled Wholesome. You can find it on any music platform out there. And Bridget Song was is a song about Kaylin, a song about transformation and a song about the magic of witnessing your body as something else. And Kalen is a brilliant saxophone player, and he toured with me for years, and we played as a duo where we would, um, I would beatbox into a loop pedal and play the piano and sing, and he would back me up with saxophone, and it was really, really fun and beautiful while it lasted. And so you can hear him playing saxophone on the song, and his saxophone part really beautifully symbolizes uh, the celebratory nature of his transformation that he would make. So um, this is Bridget's song. 
You never looked good as a bride. You never looked good as a bride. You never looked good as a bride.
so that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions, that's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.